Welcome to a special edition of The Spectator Podcast. I'm Fraser Nelson. Philip Morris International is one of the world's most interesting and controversial companies. They're the firm behind Marlboro Cigarettes, and recently they announced they were going to exit the business of making cigarettes and enter what they describe as a smoke-free world. But what pace are they moving at, and what are the risks that they're now taking on? To what extent should campaigners start to see them as a solution, rather than the continuing problem? And to what extent is this just a ruse for shareholders, rather than a genuine change of heart? Yatsek Olzak, Chief Executive of Philip Morris, joins me now. Now, Yatsek, we should say from the offset that Philip Morris has sponsored this podcast, and in return, I can ask you anything I want. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Okay. Absolutely fair. So I suppose my first question is that you are a cigarette company. Fundamentally, you say your mission is to unsmoke the world. But can a cigarette company really be a force for good? Yeah, we are uh, every day less and less of a cigarette company. Okay, and the objective is to essentially put the cigarettes uh, uh, behind us as uh, quickly as this is possible. I think over the last uh, seven years, we're demonstrating every week, every month that that objective is not just the pure inspirational, aspirational objective, but it's something which can be delivered and actually is good for a you know, for the consumers, for the smokers, for the public at large, and also good for the company, for company investing. So what sort of time frame are you talking about? The initial milestones which we set for ourselves is that by 2025, we will achieve uh, about the 50% of the revenues coming from a, a smoke food products. Seems that we are on a good track to pass that or achieve that first milestone. Mm-hmm. The question is, what is beyond the 50%? Is it 75% when ultimately can drive it to the 100%? The opportunity which is in front of us, not just in terms of a company, but in front of the smokers and everyone who is really concerned about the public health, especially around the, you know, in the tobacco sector. We never had an opportunity like that in front of us. Right, but the opportunity is to go smoke-free, as you say. But are you saying that in 10 years or in 15 years, you won't be able to buy Marble or, or any other Philip Morris cigarettes in Britain? I think there will be some markets that within the 10 years, if everything you know is properly aligned, you have a proper collaboration, uh, cooperations with you know all the relevant stakeholders, Within the 10 years, you can put the smoking behind in, in many markets. We already have uh, more seven markets, actually. So to be clear, then, to put smoking behind you, you mean right, right now we're in 2020? No, that the, the, the smoking behind means that uh, the cigarettes can disappear from a given market within the 10 years. From the market. So no more Marlboro for sale in Britain? No more any cigarettes, not just Marlboro, any cigarettes. I think our objective is to solve the problem of smoking once and uh, you know for all. And this is not just whether Philip Morris, you know, at that time will sell, will be selling cigarettes. I think the cigarettes should, frankly speaking, disappear. Okay. And is that true for the Middle East, for Asia, the Americas, your other markets? I mean, the different markets are in a different starting point. Um, what the company can do, um, you know, what we can do on our side is to develop the products which will respond to the, you know, consumer smokers' expectations. They're very much addressing the affordability issues. I think we're on a good track with that. 
But to be very frank, the biggest challenge is the openness of the market to the alternative product. So if a market, and we have a number of markets which uh, forbid essentially make it illegal sell commercialization of any of the smoke-free proposition. So just to be clear here, when we're talking about smoke-free propositions, we are of course talking about electronic cigarettes, but the main thing you do is heated tobacco products. And Icos is perhaps the best known of your three brands in this field. But you also recently um, acquired a Swedish company that makes snus. That's a sort of um, tea bag style nicotine product which you put under your lips. But those are the products, nicotine products that you regard as being smoke free. I suppose your um, question here is the regulatory environments and whether they're hostile or uh, favorable to people who want to move on from smoking. Yeah, that's correct. Just to put it from a, you know, in the right context, the, the, the main reason behind the, you know, if you like the harm created by smoking, very significant harm created by smoking is the presence of combustion which is essentially we're burning organic matter, in this case tobacco, and by burning this in a smoke, we're releasing thousands of a, of a smoke, uh, toxicants, constituents, which creates over a period of time the harm, harm which is leading to premature death. If we start to eliminate to the very large extent that number of uh, smoke constituents, the products actually uh, uh, offering uh, or presenting completely different risk profile. And I am not talking here about the very marginal type of improvements. I'm talking about the improvements which can range as far as the tenfold improvement in terms of a risk profile compared to continuing smoking. So any product which is uh, eliminating combustion, whether electronic cigarettes or heated tobacco products or oral tobacco, non-tobacco, but nicotine-containing products is a vastly, vastly better than a continuing smoking cigarettes. I imagine the, the conundrum there, of course, the, the, the various public health bodies have looked into vaping and tobacco warming and have found them to be, as you say, significantly better than cigarettes. But there is the risk that people will start um, taking these products, that young people, especially teenagers, the, there was a report in Britain showing that something like 15% of teenagers are, are vaping now, and people might, who had stopped smoking might start to pick up, for example, a tobacco warming product. So you can see the concern of various governments who think, hang on a minute, we don't want our kids to be um, posting TikTok videos of themselves um, vaping. I mean, I've got a 15-year-old son, and I'm struck by how many of his, his, his peer group will pose with a vape, it's like it's fashionable. Now, I'm not sure they would oppose for a cigarette, because what people have been very successful in doing is making cigarettes unfashionable, untrendy. It's not the sort of thing young people do, but it seems there is a certain glamour behind the electronic alternatives to cigarettes. And I wonder if that is a source of understandable anxiety for regulators. It is absolutely legitimate concern. And we are aware that in some of the product categories among the broad spectrum of smoke-free products, there are some uh, product executions or practices, etc., which lead to the uh, unintended use among the young people. By the way, I also have a 15 years old son, and I'm also concerned that he will be exposed to the product or even communications about the product at the age which essentially he should be protected mm. from exposure to any nicotine products. So how would you do that protection? Then? Okay, I think, look, we look at the, you know, we present, we present in more than 70 markets with our hit not ban proposition, I guess, and we very diligently monitor what is the 
usage what is the audience which is using the product product was tested designed and tested with the objective to maximize the switching conversion rates from the adult smokers to uh, to this product we put ourselves two very high um, targets or objectives one is that the product should not create any you know, if possible, any usage of underage people, but more also importantly, the product shouldn't be made attractive to adults, to those adults who successfully quit cigarette smoking mm. before. Are we not also targeting the people which could cause the, you know, relapsing uh, problems? The fact of LIV is that in the 70 markets, so I think everyone would agree with me, that this operations at scale, you're talking... Uh, uh, developed countries, developing countries, and so on. In none of these markets, we have triggered any unintended consequences. So what I am saying, there is a there is a way that you can design the product, execute the product, market the product, very importantly, while uh, having this razor focus on the right audience, which is the adult smokers, those people who continue smoking today. The products, like you mentioned, electronic cigarettes, etc., I think a problem or challenge which we uh, are facing in many countries is that the category as such has been left without the proper regulations for a too long period of time. But I do believe that these products offer also a great harm reduction potential versus continuing smoking, but we need to act fast how to make these products less attractive, less palatable, etc. for the younger people. And I think the questions about the underage people having access to any nicotine product, doesn't matter what form of a nicotine uh, uh, in which form the nicotine products are delivered, should be completely, this is the thing which is not negotiable. Mm. Okay. So under 16, under 18, where, where would you draw There's a different In the different countries, you have a different age limit. Some countries is 18, in the US is 21. I think that's something which, you know, we leave more to the, you know, up to the regulators. The okay. issue is complex because we also need to understand what is the best way to enforce this age limits when it comes to the trade, retail, etc. Many countries is 18 years, okay? 18 mm. years old is the threshold. Right, but what about banning, for example, flavoured single-use vapes? They typically tend to be what a product that children would go to most of all. Okay, the, if we want to accelerate, and I think this is the, the best execution of the harm reduction strategy, if we want to accelerate the conversion of existing smokers to the new products, mm -hmm. this product somehow have to offer the smokers the palatability which will make them switch to the mm -hmm. products. Otherwise, people will stay with a cigarette smoking. So one way of approaching this is on the market-per-market market basis, first define what flavors do we have in the cigarette market. Mm -hmm. So take it very simply. If the cigarette market in a given country has the tobacco flavor, which is a natural mm -hmm. tobacco flavor, and has a menthol, I think that the alternative product should have a menthol as the flavor. You know, order not to create further barrier for smokers to switch. And then obviously it's questionable why do I need or why, why other flavors are needed because smokers didn't have that flavor in the base product. Yeah, there's all sorts of flavors that almost look like 
like um, sweet but the flavors. flavors absolutely and uh, you know flavors are actually twofold i mean one is the flavor itself in a sense what taste experience do they uh, offer but second is also the marketing of this if i walk the shops even in london some of the vape shops and i see how these products are being presented from the design of the packaging of the market marketing merchandising of this product i, I, I don't think it should be tolerable Okay, interesting. And of course, you've got, I mean, Australia is looking to ban um, vaping entirely. I mean, right now you can do it on prescription. Now, the EU is set to level some kind of tax on, on e-cigarettes, bringing them into line with, with cigarettes. And Thailand is so extreme. If you're a vapor and you go on holiday to Thailand, you better watch out because they're a threat of a prison sentence there for anybody vaping. So it does seem as if right around the world, the environment for the alternative cigarettes is getting more difficult, shall we say? Yes, but here, let's take it one by one. So there are a number of markets, some of them which you mentioned, and many others, which simply ban any of the alternative products. Heat not burn electronic cigarettes, eBay products, or oral mm -hmm. tobacco products. And I am asking the questions, what are we doing with the cigarettes in the meantime? Are we allowing them to be sold? It doesn't seem to me there was a logical decision. I understand. So illogical to ban, to ban vaping, to ban heat, not burn, but to allow cigarettes, which are a lot more harmful. No, this is counter the science, counter what we want to achieve, because we know that in absence of this product, the smoking rates at the very, very high level will continue to stay at that level. By the way, if you take the total global population of smokers, which you know estimates a billion, more than a billion smokers, if you overlay the slowly, only slowly declining smoking rates, incidents through smoking incidence rates, overlaid with the population growth, we will end up situations that 5, 10, 15 years from now, we will have more smokers than they are today. Mm -hmm. Okay, we know that the smokers, for a variety of reasons, don't want or can't quit. Okay, we can, and we are advocating very strongly that the current measures against the cigarette, uh, against cigarettes should continue. However, we need to also look back into what has happened over the last 20 years and admit one fact. These measures have a very limited impact on the smoking rates. Yeah. There is the decline in the smoking rates. Yes, you have a plain package, you have a point of sale display, but you have extremely high taxations, which, by the way, in many countries led to the extremely high levels of illicit trade and this, you know, creates some other consequences than 10 UK. The take UK, for example, you have a 30% penetration of illicit product. So we have not really eliminated the smoking. We have moved over a period of time part of the smoking from a legal market to illegal market. But logically, logically, if you have a product, and this is not only Philip Morris science or Philip Morris uh, researches, you have a public health England, which is... Uh, 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 claiming that the electronic cigarettes uh, are reducing the risk by 90-95%. You have a Food and Drug Administration, FDA in the US, which is research, researching, reviewing our products and uh, confirming that these products offer the, 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 the massive you know, harm reduction opportunities. If we don't allow these products to be available in any given market, smokers will continue smoking. So the base risk scenario continues. We are not in a hypothetical type of a situation 
situation that industry of Philip Morris is bringing new products to the markets and these products didn't have predecessor. These products have a predecessor and the predecessor are cigarettes and the risk of a smoking a cigarette is well known to everyone. So either we continue only with the policies which are deploying over the last 20 years and not much is changing, okay, not significant change, or we can rapidly decline the smoking rates as we observe in some markets which had the more progressive policy of adoption of, of adopting the, the tobacco harm reduction principle. If you look in Japan, when over the last seven years the cigarette sales has been reduced by 35%, never in the history of the public health intervention such a magnitude of a change has been achieved with the traditional measures at play. Is most of that because they're switching to... They're switching products. to, in the case of Japan, to hit not burn products. If you like Sweden, mm. which has the one of the lowest smoking rates out of the, you know, the countries which have you know, reliable statistics, and they had the level at 5%. By the way, UK itself has put the target that by 2030 want to, we want to be a smoke-free in the UK, and the government has pushed the target at 5%. Question is, why 5% doesn't bother us anymore? But that's a separate conversation. Why we think that we eliminate smoking when we just stop at 5%? Because our view, Philip Morris' view is, I think we have an opportunity to go, to go down to the absolute zero. Right, but let's take Sweden, for example. They've managed to get to low cigarette use, 5%, a target which the UK government is struggling to hit. But of course, Sweden has got, as a result, lower rates of lung cancer. But what about mouth cancer? Are there other risks involved in the snus tobacco products which you're now selling? We're not saying that the smoke-free products okay, are risk-free. What we're just saying that we need to take it relative to the risk which is uh, caused by the cigarette smoking. Mm-hmm. And if you take the over the totality of the risk caused by the cigarette smoking, many diseases, lung cancers, many other diseases, which all lead one way or another to uh, even a premature death, all of the alternative products are in the completely different side of the risk continuum. And by the way, the smoke-free products in Sweden, i.e. Swedish snooze, is today the lowest essentially risk product which you have is not the risk-free. Let's not be, let's not, you know, have any doubt. It's not the risk-free, mm-hmm. but the alternative is that the people continue. We would continue smoking. So if you take uh, the total nicotine consumptions in, in Sweden, you realize that the total nicotine consumption in Sweden is at a comparable level to any continental European country. But there is a fundamental difference in the harm created by these products versus the cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if they manage to drove over period of time, not with very active promotion type of a policy, you know, supported by the government, by more by the tradition choices of a, of a Swedish uh, consumers, if they drop the smoking to the five, 5% rate, if we would achieve the same phenomena, the same smoking incidence in Europe, estimates which I came across, you would uh, reduce the premature death by the 350,000. But That's it is by reducing smoking number. to 5%. If you would follow and you would achieve what Sweden has achieved. This mm-hmm. is despite the fact that, yes, these products are not risk-free, but always let's remember that there is an alternative product in the market, which is a traditional cigarette. So we're trying to reduce 
continue with the policy to discourage people to initiate smoking, continue smoking, but also recognize one thing, that all the toolbox of the policies which you have deployed over the last 20 years, mm-hmm. high taxes, the plain packaging, I mentioned all of these things, are not yielding desirable results. I mean, we are in that, in, in that you know, lucky or, or interesting times that we have a technology and the science which can actually accelerate the solution of this problem. E-cigarettes are 95% less harmful, according to the UK government. Now, that's a huge figure. My colleague Rory Sutherland thinks that the inventor of e-cigarettes has probably saved more lives than anybody else in recent... There, it's obvious. But how are e-cigarettes compared to SNSC? Well, obviously, if you change the way of um, delivery method, right? So you go from the inhalation to the oral, so you're going through mm-hmm. the you know, digestive, if you like, the system of a human body, you further can reduce the risk. But we're already talking at the level of the inhalable, non-combustible product, and there's such a massive risk reduction. I mean, uh, you just mentioned the 95% number quoted or, or, or estimated by the Public Health England. This, this is a massive, massive, massive improvement, which you never have seen in terms of as an outcome by any other policy measures which we have here. So therefore, coming back, even if we are confronted, if I am confronted with the countries who are saying, okay, electronic cigarettes are banned, you know, Swedish snooze is banned. By the way, European Union has banned in 1992 Swedish mm. snooze product. We can go back, what was exactly the reasoning and motivation around the banning Swedish snooze product? If the hidden bad products are being banned, the smokers continue smoking. So we can continue this debate for another years, decades, always arguing or invocating the, the precautionary principle, which I have actually think that we all that is essentially abusing the concept of a precautionary principles because there is a data behind this product. If you look at the Swedish snows, there is not just the industrial research data. There is more than a 30 years of epidemiology which confirms that these products are much, 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 much better than a continuing smoking cigarette. So what is exactly the problem? Is it the problem that in 1992, when the European Commission was deciding about the ban on the snus, on the Swedish snus, this was the worry of some industry in Europe that Sweden joining in 1994 European Union and therefore having an access to the common market. This product will be proliferating, gaining profil- uh, popularity in Europe and therefore contributing to the declining smoking rates, which was the case in 90, at the beginning of 90s, where Sweden already had about the 10 points of a lower smoking incidence than a continental European country because of a tradition? Was it the case that at that time we had the Spanish state monopoly, Italian state monopoly, Portuguese state monopoly, and French state monopoly, who were worrying that introduction of a Swedish snus product will accelerate the decline of a smoking? Now, unfortunately, because of the decisions, we lost 30 years. Right. But maybe they were worried about the problems that snus has. Snus has, has got problems. There's several health problems associated with snus. Maybe they didn't want to add them to the tobacco problems. So okay. Sweden does have a Harm- whole bunch of health problems that we don't see in the rest of Europe because of snus. I, I understand. But, you know, we had to make a choice. Okay. This is the, we are discussing the harm elimination versus harm reduction. Mm. Okay. I understand. We have run that experiment for 30 years about the harm elimination. Mm. And the success rate is extremely questionable because the smoking rate 
case at the high level persists in a, essentially all countries in the world. But in the meantime, the country which due to the traditional presence of this product, etc., allowed this product into the market has achieved much more through the harm elimination strategy that blindly trying to repeat the same and the same and the same, which is focused on a harm elimination. So we can continue for another 30 years of a harm elimination and not allowing people to participate in a harm reduction strategy. You mentioned your 15-year-old son. Um, I've heard also about your daughter. Now, I heard that you told your boyfriend that unless he stopped smoking, he couldn't date her. Is That's that right? true. Talk me through that. <laughs> So we're talking here just that uh, we remove an undue no. excitement. We're talking about a daughter who is well above 30 years old. Yeah, of course. What I'm interested in is your feelings towards smoking. Yeah, now, so, I mean, you I are, as a father, yeah. you're concerned about your daughter being with because somebody who smokes. I mean, it's, it's interesting to, to, to get a feel for, for your yes, personal emotions. my daughter was... Uh, dating uh, a boyfriend and I realized that this uh, leads to some sort of a longer term relations and I've learned that the boyfriend uh, is a smoker I had a conversation with him and I said look it seems that you plan to have uh, you know longer life uh, with my daughter and I do care about her very much and I think you should quit smoking and um I said, if you don't quit, at least you should switch to what I am, what I do believe, based on the science, which is accessible to me and others. They should switch to the to, to other products, and he switched to other products, and he still is the boyfriend of my daughter. Right. Well, very. <laughs> he's he's passed that test, but I can imagine he went back to his mates last night. You know, you don't want your daughter. I'm mean, acting like a normal father. Okay. You well, don't you don't want your daughter one day to cry because something will happen to her husband. And based what I know, I know if he would continue smoking, his risk sooner or later would materialize into something which would happen to, to him. Right. And I think as a father, I am acting like any father would do. You don't want your daughter to cry that something happens to her husband. Okay? The only thing I can offer him, either he quit or he switch. Okay. Hopefully, at least he switch to the better product. I can understand that. But what, therefore... That, how does that logic apply to the people who buy, you sell something like 600 billion cigarettes a year? I mean, they're smoked by millions of people. The same thing must apply to them. You must desperately want them to stop smoking. Yes, and as much as we can go and talk to the smokers, inform and communicate, we are very clear with our communications to the smokers. The ideal solution, the best solution is they should quit smoking. The second best solution is if they can't quit, they should switch to this product. You go to our shops when we're executing the direct relations with the consumers, etc. Our communication is very clear. First, you should try to quit smoking. But we also have to understand one thing. People don't quit. Majority of the people is not quitting and will not quit. Irregardless of all the efforts which you have implemented you know, over the last two decades. And again... We have put the very high prices, very high taxations. We have put all the marketing measures. We have we have tried all the different forms of the of uh, you know intervention, and the high smoking rates persist. So, 
Do we want to wait another 30 years? And, you know, there's no indications that the situations will change. Or we finally go and offer consumers a better choice. But you, you, you talk as if there's been no real change in smoking habits. In fact, smoking has been going down in Britain and the West for, for, for quite some time. In fact, I imagine that even if you didn't take the view that you do, even if you thought smoking was a, a pleasurable pastime, you would still, that doesn't matter, you still will be facing a business crisis because fewer and fewer people are buying cigarettes, certainly in Britain, in the US and Europe. So I wonder to what extent your, your vault fast is for business reasons, this is to keep your shareholders happy. Absolutely. I mean, in the UK, the smoking rates are declining, but the market, you know, is open uh, more to the, you know, electronic cigarettes. It's perfectly okay. They create some sort of... The cigarettes were going down long before electronic cigarettes came in. We, we had a smoking ban. I mean, we had all sorts of... The legal part of the market, yes, but don't forget about one thing, that the extremely high tax policy, and I'm not questioning why we wanted to disincentivize the consumers for the economic measures, i.e. the price, but it also has led to the, I guess, for everyone, unintended consequences that you have a close to the 30% illicit rate. So at the end of the day, whether the product is purchased from the contraband sources or product is purchased in a legitimate shop, they both create the same harm. The cigarettes are not better or worse you regard, you know, depending on the source of that thing. What I am saying that still with this one, if you would have a better information policy, right, because the consumers are very often misinformed, how often we read from time to time in the media that, you know, it's not proven that electronic cigarettes are better. You put that seed of doubt in the smoker's mind, which is actually giving them another excuse to stay with the cigarettes. It would be much more clear about the, for example, what is the role of nicotine? Is a nicotine responsible for the harm created by smoking or there are other things which are which actually are responsible for the harm there is a very clear answer it's not the nicotine which creates the problem is the way how we consume the nicotine and unfortunately the cigarette is the worst way is the worst method of delivering uh, the nicotine and this is not just my statement of Philip Morris you go into the FDA you go to, to any other research institute by the way you can also look at what is being said about the nicotine, for example, in the nicotine replacement therapies, the chewing gums, the patches, etc. It's not the nicotine which creates the problem. Nicotine, yes, it's very clear, make it very clear. Nicotine creates dependence. Nicotine is a substance, is an addictive substance. Nicotine is the stimulant. But it's not the nicotine which creates the harm caused by the smoking. Now, this time last year, or just before it, when Putin invaded Russia, many companies had to divest themselves of their Russian assets. I think you said your company was going to. Is that still your intention? Yeah, but the intentions, and we said it on several occasions. I mean, we have our intentions have been a very quickly, if you like, verified by the ability to execute. And if you look at the constraints which are you know imposed by the variety of regulations very much also you know the way how the Russian authorities approach this whole thing frankly speaking the the divestiture of, of selling off of that business or transferring that business to anybody outside other than just essentially giving this the way to I don't know to whom I mean that that option doesn't exist and you look into how many other companies are struggling especially companies which you know for the last 20 30 years 
have you know invested in their own business. Our business in Russia is not the buy-sell operations, it's the factory which we have built, uh, etc. It's, it's extremely difficult, frankly speaking. I, I, I think it's almost impossible to leave Russia. I mean, we are, we are in that situation. Right, but that means that you're also in a situation where you're doing a lot of your business in Russia. You will be paying, I imagine, millions of dollars in tax to Vladimir Putin and thereby funding his war machine. Yeah, to be very factual, we're doing less and less the business in Russia because in the meantime, what we could, you know, orchestrate is to reduce uh, very substantially, essentially, investments behind the new products, etc. in Russia. So our business in, in, in Russia is smaller and smaller. When it comes to the taxes which we pay in Russia, this is this notion that if we don't pay these taxes, but somebody else will take over that business, they will not pay the taxes. It's not the issue if the taxes, okay? Whether this is owned by us or by whoever in Russia, the government will continue collecting taxes. That's the taxes. That's the nature of this business. But as I said, I mean, the, if you look into the you know ability to act as normally you could be able to to act is uh, is impossible, frankly speaking. To to you know to to. to Are you facing any shareholder pressure? Because they might say, look, lots of companies have had this dilemma. It's can't. hard for anybody to divest in Russia, but. You know, a lot of shareholders are thinking, look, we do, we're just not comfortable. No, we have, a, we have a conversation with the shareholders, obviously. I mean, are they interested? And quite rightly, they're interested. And we have these open conversations. If you want to uh, leave Russia, but also, to be very frank, address the, the shareholders of expectations, uh, it's frankly speaking, impossible. But yes, we have these conversations with our investors and we're very transparent in the situations we, when we are. All right. So you're looking at being smoke-free within 10 to 15 years in Britain and presumably America. You're not giving a deadline for your other countries, but you do have the power to stop this far sooner. If you want people to stop smoking, you could simply stop selling all these cigarettes. You could shut down Marlboro. You could take it off the face of the commercial earth. Now, a lot of people, sure, they might switch to another brand, but that, that sort of supply shock, as it were might do some good. You take a big financial hit. I'm, I'm just trying to work out the... Because you, you're framing this in terms of um, almost like BP. I think you said before you're inspired by BP wanting to move beyond petroleum. BP, like Philip Morris, have faced a lot of pressure from people thinking, look, you're not making the world a better place. You're spoiling the world. So you're moving into something which is more shareholder friendly. I get that. But I do wonder if the pace really is at your own choosing. I mean, you could speed this up. Any speed. I think we are very willing, and I made it uh, <clears throat> the number of occasions that open invitation to declarations. I'm willing to talk with any party how to orchestrate the proper phase out of uh, all cigarettes in the market. Let me give you an example. My market share on cigarettes in the UK is not even 9%. Mm-hmm. What do you think would happen if I just stopped selling my products, which just constitute 9% of the market? In the market when you have a 30% contraband. So can we focus on some real type of solutions which will bring the meaningful change in a problem of, of smoking? Are we, you know, focusing that, are we almost forcing the company to create, you know, it's like in the banks, you had the bad banks, good banks, etc. So I give an example. So this is a company, I have a coal mine and I have, a, I don't know, solar panels. Okay, I go and I dispose the, the coal mine. And somebody else will keep on digging the coal and burning that coal. Have we solved the problem or not? Yes, the company looks cleaner. But this is not a question. The question is, have we solved the problem? 
I think as the market leader, our aspiration is to be a key leading force in solving the problem of smoking once and for all. Right. Being the leading force by providing the alternative. What effectively you're saying is that all of these, over the years, the prohibitions, the adverts, the warnings, the pictures of body parts and cigarettes haven't had much effect, but switching has. And therefore, a company that makes switching easier is a company more likely to wean people of smoking for good. But the thing is, you could be that company, but you just don't have to sell the cigarettes. You don't have to be in Russia. You don't. Nobody's forcing you to do these things. And every day we're selling less and less cigarettes. And by the end of um, this decade, what do you think? Well, we'll see how the regulations allow us to expand with a smoke-free product. And the heat-not-burn products, what would you describe them? Well, we already crossed the bar of the 100 billion, which is a massive bar. And by the end of the decade? We will see. We will see. Well, if I have countries like India, Turkey, Belgium, Singapore and others, which are banning these products, it's difficult to sell the product. Okay. If you are not allowed to sell. We'll see. Okay. Yes, Gonzak, thank you very much for joining me at The Spectator. Thank you very much.